worship music around here. All right, go if you would to Galatians 5 and Hebrews 12 and stand with me for a little bit. Galatians chapter 5, Galatians chapter 5 and Hebrews chapter 12. I will not be here uh, next Sunday and, uh, because the rapture's happening and you'll be left behind. I'm kidding. That's not, that's not why. Uh, I'll be with uh, my family, going to take a week away. And uh, uh, when I was, first started our church, that was a really challenging thing to do for a number of reasons. One of them was logistics, not having people here that could take care of the things. And the other reason was I just uh, uh, didn't see the value, I guess you could say, in having time away with just my family. And the longer I do this and my older kids are getting older and they're moving out and moving on, uh, the more I realize it's something that I, I just, it's not just that I want to do it, uh, I need to do it, and I'm thankful to have a church family that's supportive and have preachers here that'll take care of ministering to you, and media goes on, and the music goes on, and uh, thankful for that, but uh, I will not be here next Sunday, uh, but the Word of God will, amen? amen? So I encourage you to be here. Galatians 5, Galatians chapter 5, and uh, look if you would at verse number 5, Galatians 5, um, actually go back to... Uh, verse number one, stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free and be not, what's that word? Entangled. It's hard to run when you're tangled up, isn't it? It is, right? Be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I do want you to understand people came into the church of Galatia and they were preaching that in order to be saved, you had to do things that were Old Testament law. Basically, they were trying to put the people back under the law. And that's really the definition of legalism. Having some moral compass in your life is not legalism, okay? Uh, having some kind of standard in your life is not legalism. Legalism, according to the Bible, is trying to get people to become spiritual or to be saved by doing things under the law. We cannot be saved by the law. For by grace, uh, little, little uh, uh, Chloe was uh, showing me her little toys from Sunday school. I said, how'd you get that? She said, I quoted my verse. I said, what was your verse? For by grace are you saved. It is the gift of God. I said, man, that's good stuff right there. You, you know what salvation is? You can't earn it by, by living a good life. Uh, and when someone tries to convince you to go back under the law, you know that is, that is bondage. It'll trip you up. and It'll keep you from running your race. Now look if you would at verse number 7. Ye did run well. Is that past tense or, or present tense? Past. In other words, you were running just fine. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? Someone got in the way. Look at Hebrews chapter 12. Can I say this? I, I pray that you as believers this morning are encouraged to run your race as a Christian. And I need you to understand there are people and things that want to stop you from running your race as a believer. If you're here and you're lost, understand this. You cannot run your race to be saved. The, the author and finisher of our faith is the one that ran the race for salvation for us, thank God. And in Christ, you win. However, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, you better learn to run your own race if you want to follow him. Hebrews 12, look at verse number 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every what? You know, it's hard to run if you're weighed down. You know, great example of that? Watch an old person chase a four-year-old. 
Man, the 40-pound 40 little, 40 little booger running around real fast. They're gone, you know, and you're, right? He, he says, lay, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us, what? Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Uh, Brother Sean Bowie, would you open us up in a word of prayer and ask for God's blessing on the word? Not here. There he is. Sean, would you? Okay, thank you. Amen. Be seated if you would. Let me just say this again. I want to reiterate this. Salvation is a free gift. Can I get a witness? Amen. All right. But discipleship, following Jesus Christ, is going to cost you something. It's going to take, listen, the root word of discipleship is disciple, which gives us the word discipline. And in order to, to, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, it means that you want to follow him. And when Paul writes the letters that he does to Christians, he's writing to people that he assumes are of the mindset that you do, in fact, want to follow Christ. And so when he writes the letters to the Corinthians and, and the Galatians and the Ephesians and, and all these different cities where the believers had been uh, saved and gathered and learned the word of God, he likens the Christian life to a number of things in the world of, athlete, of athleticism. He likens the Christian life to boxing in Corinthians. He talks about being, not being as one that beateth the air. In other words, I'm actually hitting my target. I'm not just boxing. I'm not just shadow boxing here. I'm wanting to aim at something, and I want to hit it. In the Christian life, you should not just be living your life aimlessly. You have a purpose. You have something God's given you to do and someone God wants you to become and an image into which he wants you to be conformed. You have a target. You should be hitting that target. He also says this, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right? So he likens it to boxing. He likens it to wrestling. He also likens it to running. Over in Philippians, he says that you may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain. In other words, I knew where God wanted me to go and I didn't waste time when I was down here. I was going somewhere and I was doing what God wanted me to do. I was running my race. This morning, I want to encourage you to run your race. Anybody ever look at what an Olympic triathlon training uh, session looks like? You know what? You know what discipleship requires? Some training. You know what Sunday morning's about? Training. You know what Sunday uh, uh, school is about? Training. You know what Wednesday night is about? Training. You know what discipleship class is about? Training. You know what ladies' Bible study is about? Training. You know what men's Bible study is about? Training. You say, what's all this for? It's to train you and to get you ready to run your race out there. How about this? Tri just reading this makes me tired. Monday for an Olympic triathlon and, and training person, the Monday's a rest day. That's the best day of the week right there. 
Because it all goes downhill. Tuesday, you swim 800 yards. Wednesday, you bike for 30 minutes. Thursday, you run for 25 minutes. Friday, you swim for 800 yards. Saturday, you ride your bike for 30 minutes. Sunday. And you know what people say when they see that? Oh, man, look at how talented. They're not talented. They're disciples. You say, well, they're not disciples of Jesus Christ. No, but they're disciplined in something that matters to them. So you know what they do? They give up hanging out with their friends, and they give up eating certain foods, and they give up time that they'd rather be doing something else, the easier path, in order to get somewhere that matters to them. My question is, will you do that for Jesus Christ? I know some of you don't like Tom Brady. You hate him, and that's fine. I'm not a Tom Brady. I'm not, you know, a Tom Brady. I'm not in the closet Tom Brady fan or anything weird like that. I'm, I'm still, you guys know where I'm coming from. I'm not going to root for Brady. All right, he's got enough, you know, metal rings and all that kind of stuff. But can I just say this much about the guy? He's got some discipline. And you go, well, that's what got his marriage in trouble. Maybe, I don't know. Somebody reading the tabloids too much. I can tell you this much. So the guy gets up at 6 o'clock in the morning and right away uh, downs 20 ounces of, of, of water with electrolytes. And then, you know what he does? He eats a breakfast of avocado, egg whites, uh, and then he eats stuff for, for lunch, uh, and, and berries, uh, eats salads for lunch with nuts and fish, hummus, guacamole, mixed nuts for snacks, roasted vegetables, and chicken for dinner every single day. Why? Because he wants rings. Can I say this? He got them. And you can, you can say, well, that's just a temporary, you know, it's not going to last forever. And you're right about all of that. So why in God's name would a lost person, I don't know if he's saved or not, but a man, I don't know if he's saved or not, a lost person live for this game that's not going to define you for eternity in order to get rings that someday will be on somebody else's hand or in a trophy case somewhere, something that is temporary, and God's people, look at the Christian life, they go, well, just making it through the day. Man, you want to aim for something. You're supposed to be running somewhere. Run your race. Take some discipline. Uh, disciples defined by Webster's 1828 is a learner or a scholar, a follower, an adherent to the doctrines of another. In other words, they don't look at their life and go, it's what I think, it's what I believe, it's what I want, it's what Jesus says, it's what Jesus thinks, it's what Jesus wants. That's what a disciplined Christian will do. And that is what we are called to do as believers. The, the word disciple can be a noun. It's a person. It can also be a verb. To disciple someone means to teach, to train, or to bring up. That takes discipline. You know, when the kids played last night, they had, Emma had her spring concert. And a couple weeks ago, Bella, who's not feeling so well, that's why she's not here. Hopefully she's watching at home. Uh, Bella, a couple weeks ago, she had her concert, you know, and playing the violin. And Emma played her violin last night beautifully, you know. And, and the kids are playing all their stuff. And it just sounds amazing. It's an amazing thing to watch uh, a symphony, an orchestra of people, and all with different ideas and different thoughts, kind of being tuned in to one conductor that's leading it all and directing them. And you say, what is that? Discipline. Oh, no, it's talent. Let me tell you something. They don't squirt out of you, ladies, with the violin in their hand just playing naturally. They don't do that. Someone's got to take them to music lessons, and someone's got to pay for the lessons, and someone's got to pay for the lessons, and someone's got... That's me. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, mom's taking them everywhere, and you know, she's like, well, they're doing this piece and that piece. I'm like, I just know I just lost a couple hundred bucks here. That's all I know. You know? <laughs> 
But for years, for years, from the age of five, we found a video of Bella on a chair in our upstairs schoolroom, and Bella's going, okay, Emma, do this. And Emma's, you know, four years old. And here Sounds like cats, you know, killing each other in the the alleyway. And at the end of it, Bella goes, good job. And Emma goes, (laughs) you know what? That's not talent. It's discipline. It's when you rather be sitting down and stuffing your face with potato chips and watching a cartoon. Your mom goes, no, it's time to play that instrument. Why? Because you've got a commitment. We have invested in you into taking these lessons, and by the grace of God, you're going to learn something, and if we're committed on this side, we're invested. You need to invest your time. You know what the Lord said 2,000 years ago? I bought you with my precious blood. I invested in you, and if I invested my blood in you, you ought to invest some time into this. Discipline. Discipline. People mis, uh, uh, confuse all the time. They mistake all the time the difference between discipline and talent. Someone gets up and sings. You go, oh, they're so talented. I don't mean to pick on Miss Rachel. D- uh, can I do this for just a moment? She can't hear. She has a problem hearing. You know what she has to do? Very, very. Uh, uh, she has to strive to listen very well. Now Tim can't hear for completely different reasons. <laughs> he told me I'm tone deaf. I can't. T- I can't tell. That's not her issue. Her literally cannot hear. She's got to uh, have age, I believe, or something like that. And you would never know that, all right? You may not know five things about her because she'll say hi and she'll say bye and she'll be real pleasant and sweet. But I'm telling you that. I'm telling you that for a reason. When someone gets up and says, oh, they're just talented. No, some people have to work very diligently at what they achieve. And listen, the world does that for sports and they do it for weightlifting and they do it for boxing and they do it for golf and they do it for music. Why can't you do that for Jesus Christ? One time someone comes to the Lord and says, Master, I'll follow you wherever you go. It's kind of when someone comes here, Pastor, you're the best preacher there ever was, and, and it's just the best thing, and you'll never offend me. Once someone says you'll never offend me, I'm like, uh-oh. <laughs> I'm like, what, what, when is, it gonna, when is that shoe going to drop? You know? and, but this guy comes to the Lord and says, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. The Lord says, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. You know what's interesting? I, I, don't, I don't read about that man ever again. The Lord's trying to tell him, hey, if you want to follow me, it's not going to be everything you think it is. You know what I'm telling you this morning? Run your race. Uh, right behind that, another guy shows up and says, Lord, I want to follow you. But my dad died. I got to go bury him. I just, when I read this, it kind of just makes me go, hmm, you know, like I can just imagine someone coming to church for the first time, preacher, I just got in the Bible, I just got saved, and I want to follow the Lord, and I'd like to join the discipleship class, but I won't be here next Sunday because my dad died, and I want to be at his service, at his funeral. I cannot imagine saying, let the dead bury the dead, son. I wouldn't say that. I'm also not the sinless son of God. And he looks at that man, and I think the Lord perceives in the first man that comes to him, You are so hung up on security. Your identity is wrapped in security. Once I tell you, you won't be as secure in yourself when you're following me, you're going to be gone. And he was. And I think he looks in the eyes of this other man that says something that seems natural and normal to us. And he looks in the eyes of that man and he goes, you know, I know what your problem is. You love your family more than me. You'll never be willing to put me over them. So you know what? Let's just make this easy on both of us. And let me tell you right now, you need to go do that. Is this a little too close to home, a little hard for us to hear sometimes because we put family over God? 
is it maybe a little too hard for us here because we put security over God? You know, Lord, I, I want to go, I want to serve you with my life, I want to do what you want me to do, but Lord, let it be secure, let it be at the whim of whatever my family says I ought to do, because I don't want to be estranged from my family, and Lord's like, look, if that's what you want, go. Seems like to me, maybe I'm wrong, you tell me, seems like the Lord takes discipleship pretty seriously. One time, he tells him, whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You know, I, I like the whosoever because it tells us anyone can do it. There's not one person here that's so talented over someone else that you have an edge on someone else in the Christian life. Anyone can follow the Lord if they want to. Whosoever will, let him, let him come after me, let him deny himself. You know what that shows me? The will needs to be engaged. You need to deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Jesus Christ. You know what that is? I'll tell you, it's a lot of things, but it's not easy. And you know what's real easy to do in the Christian life? It's real easy to point out where other people are not running their race right. Can I get a witness? Well, I'm so glad, Pastor, you finally preached this because Joe really needs this message. Joe's like, I'm never coming back to this church. I keep being the whipping boy here. I'm done with it, you know. I'm so, Pastor, I'm just so glad you, my husband, my wife really needed this message. You know, I don't want you to do this morning. I don't want you to do that. Go with me to Luke chapter 10. Just give me a little moment of an illustration as I set this up and we get into the message here. Look at Luke chapter number 10. Luke chapter 10. You know what's real easy to do? Spend your life looking at everyone running their race. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, someone gets up and sings, and someone else thinks, how come I wasn't asked to sing? Someone gets up to preach, how come I, say, well, I wasn't asked to preach? Someone gets, hey man, run your race. This is your race to run, not somebody else's to run. You know why you spend so much time trying to run somebody else's race? Because you have no control over you, so you're trying to control something else. Look at Luke chapter 10. Look, if you would, at verse number 38. Luke chapter 10, verse number 38. Now, I know sibling rivalries. I've got six kids. You see it every once in a while, poke its head up. You know? You compliment one sibling, heh. You know? You compliment the other, heh, you know? But can you imagine, uh, that's dad, and that's dad mom dealing with, can you imagine the Lord being at your house? And you're like, <laughs> Lord, don't you see? Don't you see what my sister's doing? Look at Luke chapter 10, look at verse 38. And it came to pass as they went that he entered into a certain village and a certain woman named Martha received him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary which also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was what? Do you know what cumbered means? It means weighed down. Can I remind you it's really hard to run when you're weighed down. Look what it says here. Martha was cumbered about much serving and came to him and said, Lord, Dost thou not care? Now be honest, you've done that with the Lord. Dost thou not care that my sister hath left me to serve alone? It's one thing to be like, Lord, did you notice this? But she goes a step further. It's like, Lord, did you not, don't you care that she's not doing what I'm doing? But then she goes a step further. Lord, you need to do something about this. <laughs> I want you to look at the preceding verses because 
the Lord shows us something here that's important for you to get a hold of this morning if you're going to get any help in this area. And that is this. It's not your job to look at somebody else run their race. Can, can I point out what the Lord does in verse 41? Martha, Martha. What's the next word after Martha, Martha? It ain't about Mary, sister. It's about you. You know why you try to point other people's flaws and you look at their race and how they're running it and you, what is that church doing? What is that preacher saying? And what are they doing here? And why did they say this? And what's going on in that person's life? And you know why you're so, you know what? Because you don't have control over this. It's almost like you don't want the Lord to notice you. You ever see that with kids? You know what we are? We're just a bunch of God's kids. And, and every once in a while we kind of act like it. And it's kind of like, Lord, I'm praying. Lord, uh, uh, it's not, I'm not gossiping. I'm just praying. Lord, I just pray it helped Joe. <laughs> Lord, you know what he's going. Lord, you know what he's dealing with. And Lord, I, I, I saw it six months ago. I know he didn't have it because he didn't see it because he didn't have the spiritual sermon that I have. But Lord, I pray that you would help him to see it. And I pray that you would. Uh, that's how uh, oftentimes Christians live their Christian life. Vicariously through others. Instead of looking in the mirror and going, why am I not running my race? One time, <laughs> Peter, now listen, every once in a while, if you hear happy noises come out of the nursery, let's just praise God for that. <laughs> wee, wee, that's a good one, you know, normally like, Wah! so we have the wheeze every once in a while, praise God for that, but one time, the Lord addresses Peter and he, he says, hey, Pete, do you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. You, build, you love me? Yeah, Lord, I love you. Yeah, you love me? I love, Lord, you know all things. You all love you. And, and then the Lord starts uh, talking to Pete, and Pete goes, hey, uh, I have a question. Yes, Peter? Um, what, about, what about John? <laughs> and the Lord, the Lord says to him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what, what is that to thee? You know what the Lord served him? A big platter of nunya. You know, you know whose race you should be looking at this morning? Your race. Regardless of whether you're just graduating high school or you're retired, you're supposed to run your race if you're a child of God. Go back to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews 12. Just a couple of simple thoughts for you this morning about running your race. First off, can I, can I say this? Run your race with presence. See, what does that mean? Be aware of who's there. Now, what I mean by that is simply this. Uh, look at verse, uh, verse number 1 in chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of? You know what you'll convince yourself of when you're running your race? i got to stop. Uh, you know what you'll do? When, I, I'll just say this. When you work out with a group of people versus by yourself, it's completely different. When someone is, a, I'll get on, the, if I were left to myself and I were to get on an exercise bike, I'd just be strolling around. But man, I got this guy there going, okay, crank it up. No, okay, all right. You know, it's going to feel like mud. I'm like, yes, it does. And then he goes, you can do this. You know, I'm going, yeah, I can. And I see, you know, a 90-pound girl, and I'm like, bless God, I'm not going to let her beat me. So you know what I want to do? I want to go further because I know someone else is there. When you as a child of God convince yourself, no one's been through what I've been through. I'm all by myself. No one else knows what it's like. You know what you do? You tell yourselves lies, and when you do that, you start isolating yourself. And when you isolate yourself, you know what you start doing? You start saying, I can't do it. 
You know what the Bible says? That temptations are what? Common to man. First Corinthians chapter 10. It says about Elijah, he was a man subject to like passions as we are. It says this, the things written aforetime were written for our learning. Why? That we might find patience and comfort and hope through the scriptures. The idea is this, you are not running this race alone. And yes, you need to have some tunnel vision about staying in your lane. I saw a video that was hilarious. It's this guy running. I'll be real careful. Don't worry. This guy's running. Every time I go to the system, I'm like, oh, oh. I'll be real careful. This guy's running, right? And he's beating the guy next to him. You know what he does? Flashes a peace sign at him and then trips over his own feet. You need to understand you have a race to run and you stay in your lane. However, can I just say this? You are not alone. And when you convince yourself that you're alone, you will find yourself just like Elijah. Elijah goes there and he stands up for God, calls down fire from heaven. Uh, a lady gets upset, says she's going to split the church and all kinds of trouble. You know, if you, that's ad-libbing. You may know the story a little bit differently from 1 Kings 19. I'm putting it in 2023 in the church. And, and this lady says this, I'm going to have your head chopped off, son. You should have messed with my prophets. You should have left this thing alone. You should have just done your God thing by yourself. And, and Elijah goes, you know what? I'm tired of this. The people didn't respond the right way. I'm running away for myself. And he does run, but he runs away. You know what the Lord does? The Lord looks at Elijah and he goes, hey, why are you here? And Elijah says, oh, I'm here because I did everything you asked me to do. And I'm all by myself. And no one else cares. And no one follows me on YouTube. And then he asks him again, same question, what are you, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you here? And Elijah literally says the same exact thing over again. You know, the Lord just throws in there, he goes, hey, uh, Elijah, here's what I want you to do. And he gives him some different instruction about a man named Elisha. But in that, in that little PS moment, he goes, by the way, there's 7,000 people that haven't bowed the knee. You convince yourself you're alone, you're not alone. Run your race with patience. Run your race with, pe- with presence. You say, why? What do you mean by that? Bella was running her 5K not too long ago. She said one of the hardest things to do is take those inclines. She said, but you know what? I, I, would, I, would, I would see that someone was behind me and seeing that someone was behind me and that I was also behind someone else and they made it over that hill, I knew I could push through and I could make it. You know what that tells me? You are not meant to do the Christian life by yourself. You know what some of you do? As soon as you hit a speed bump, you know what you do? You kind of disappear. You kind of go incognito. And you kind of go, you kind of just get, fall off the face of the earth. And let me just say this right now. That's not to your help. That's to your detriment. You know why God gave us a church? Because he knew we are not strong enough on our own in this world. The Lord knew that we needed each other. I've heard Christians, I don't need anyone. I can do it by myself. I've got the word of God. Let me just say this right now. That's the mouth of a fool speaking. The Bible says that God hath tempered the body together. You say, why? Because we need each other. Run your race with patience, with, with presence. The Bible says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. You know what God did? God did. He put witnesses behind us and around of us so that we would never feel like we are alone. He puts those behind. Who are the ones behind us? Oh, you know, Moses. A man that killed a man and buried him in the sand. 
Noah, a guy that got drunk and made a mess of things. Abraham, a man that took someone that wasn't his wife and lied about who his wife was to a certain king. Isaac, who lied about his wife and gave the blessing to the wrong son. Jacob, who's a liar, a supplanter, a schemer. These are the people that are mentioned in Hebrews 11 in the great hall of faith. They are the cloud of witnesses behind us. You know what that does? That reminds me. It does. Uh, you do not have to be sinless to run your race. If you did have to be sinless, none of us could do it. I'm not, I'm not making light of sin. Don't misunderstand me. Sin will mess you up. But I, I look at these men, and he mentions, and, and the time that, that is left to tell of men like Gideon and, 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 and Jephthah and Samson. And da- I'm like, Gideon? The guy uh, turns the nation idolatry by the end. Uh, Samson, are you kidding me? That guy's in the hall of faith? That guy could not, man, everything, anything that walked by with two legs, he's like, I want to date her. That was Samson. I, I mean, look, like this guy had a problem. Uh, David, are you kidding me? The guy that has a man killed so he can steal his wife, that man's in the hall of faith. You know what that shows me? Perfection is not required to run the race. Some of you convince yourself, I, I don't fit. I don't, I don't measure up. None of us measure up but you're still called to run your race. Research has linked social isolation and loneliness, listen to me, to higher risk for a variety of physical and mental conditions, high blood pressure, heart disease, obesity, a weakened immune system, anxiety, depression, cognitive decline, Alzheimer's disease, and even death. Can I just say this? Why don't we apply that spiritually? There are some spiritual, some Christians who have spiritual Alzheimer's. They forget who saved them. They forget what they're doing. You ever, ever really talk to someone who's got Alzheimer's? And they're there and then they're gone. You, you know what, you say, what, they literally just don't have no clue who you are. You could, you could be their daughter, granddaughter, grandson, whatever, and just they're gone. I, I think the Lord sometimes feels that way with us. And then we're in fellowship with God and things are going great. You hit a speed bump and all of a sudden the Lord looks at you and you look at him and you're like, who are you? And the Lord's like, I'm the same person I've always been. What's going on with you? And I'll tell you what the problem is, oftentimes you convince yourself, you tell yourself a lie from your own mind, from the flesh, from the devil, from the world, that it's too hard to run the race, nobody can do it perfectly, Uh, I'm all by myself, I might as well quit, you know what that is? That's a lie. You need to run your race with, with, with presence, understanding there are those that are behind you, there are those that are around you, and by the way, you have someone to look ahead to as well, his name is Jesus Christ. Can I say this? Secondly, run your race with passion. You say, what do you mean by that? Excellence. I feel like God gets the leftovers far too often. You know what I mean? By I've had people come and, you know, they, they, I want to donate this to the church. Well, what is it? It's like, I don't know, stuff that Goodwill rejected. <laughs> I want to give it to the church. It's funny. You can laugh at that. You know why that stuff really happens? It's like, it's like here's my leftovers. Oh, God, why would God, why, why would the church want that? Goodwill, the Salvation Army, the, the Department of Defense, and Biohazardous Waste also rejected it. Nobody wanted that. You want to give that to God now? Why? Because God gets the leftovers in my life. Can I say this? That, that race ought to be run with a little bit of passion. How do you know? Look at verse number one. The Bible says, Hebrews 12, verse one, let us lay aside every weight. You're not going to get very far. You're not going to uh, pursue excellence when you got stuff hanging off of you. Listen, I know in the 80s, and remember the, and remember the 80s? And remember the 80s? All right, remember the little ankle weight that they used to put on? You know, and one, and two, and one, and two, and one. You know, little hairband, sweatband, the ankle weights, you know? Some of you are drifting back to the 80s right now. Those are cute for working out. They're not great for earning a race. You, gotta t- you, gotta, you wanna be excellent in what you're doing? You need to learn to shed some weight. 
And don't, some of you are getting all nervous, you know, pastor, you're going to preach about food. and that. No, that's not what I'm talking about spiritually. Some of you got weights. They're not even sins. They're things that are holding you down. And you're just like, well, I'm just, as long as I get there, don't you want to pursue something with excellence? Why does God get the leftovers? You give your best to your job and your family and to your finances. And God, your heavenly father, is like, man, I am excellence. The Lord himself is the definition of excellence. All that he does, he does it well. And then we're like, all right, God, here it is. Job says, he is excellent in power and in judgment. The psalmist says, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. It pains me to quote this man because he was a legendary coach of the Green Bay Packers and somewhere Laurie is laughing. <laughs> but Vince Lombardi said, perfection is not attainable, but if we chase perfection, we can catch excellence. Excellence, I heard, so Booker T. Washington, man, if I could... Man, if I could vote for him for president, I'd bring that guy back from the dead and make him our president. Booker T. Washington's a great man. Excellence is to do a common thing in an uncommon way. It was awesome. It said there are no shortcuts to true excellence. You know the problem that I've seen? Listen, there's nothing wrong with, with finding a way to make money. Nothing wrong with that. But the rich, quick stuff that you see on Instagram and all that, let me just say this. The reason that they're doing those videos is because they're trying to find someone that's going to believe their lie. So you can get caught up into something that's going to make them money, not you money. I, listen, don't, don't fall for that. You know what that rich, quick stuff is? It's not real. <laughs> the, the idea of shortcutting to something that is of value, that's not the Christian life either. Paul says that you may approve things that are excellent. Can I ask you, are you giving God what's excellent? Are, are you running your race with excellence? I, I try to teach our kids, if you're going to do it, do it right. And if it's still messy, you're going to do it again. You might as well do it right the first time. I just want them to understand that so that when they get old enough to serve God on their own, they think to themselves, how can I do this the best way I can for God? Paul says, covet earnestly the best gifts and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And he talks about charity in the next chapter. Over there, there's a story about the, the son of Solomon in the Old Testament, Rehoboam, and there's all kinds of messages about this in all kinds of different directions. If I could just, for a moment, and have liberty to present it one way, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, splits the kingdom, and by splitting the kingdom, he invites all kinds of havoc into the kingdom because they're no longer united. They're no longer as strong as they once were. It's what happens to a family, a business, a church. Whenever someone's allowed to follow their own authority instead of following God's, things become weaker. They don't become stronger. And Rehoboam uh, allowed the king of Egypt to come in and wipe the place out. They used to have these men that would stand there with shields of gold. And the king of Shishak, uh, King Shishak uh, of Egypt came in and took all the gold. So, you know, from a far distance, gold and brass don't look all that different. So, you know, Rehoboam said, I tell you what, guys, let's do this. Let's put some brass shields up. So that way, we still feel important, we still look important, but can I ask you, was it the same as gold? As a Christian, things can look right from the outside, but you know if it's gold or not. Bob Jones Sr. said it's a sin to do less than your best. You know what the mark, the earmark of the modern church is, according to the Bible? Not what I think. Lay it to see, and you know what it is? Lukewarm. Not cold, not hot. You know what God says? I wish you'd just pick a side. This whole mediocre thing doesn't work for me. Signed, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know what he wants? He wants excellence from our lives. I read a story about a guy that was going to Stanford back in the 90s, I think it was. He's a football player, famous, went to the NFL, and around 11 o'clock at night, he was invited to a party. So he goes to this party, and on the way to the party, he hears, whack. Whack. Light drizzle starts falling down, and he sees the silhouette of a man out on the golf course just, just whacking away. Comes back at 3 a.m., four hours later, after his party. Goes up the hill, sees the guy on the course. He goes, Tiger, what are you doing, man? He said it was the only way, it was Northern California. They don't get a lot of rain, just like here. It's the only way I could experience what it would be like to be in Augusta if a rainstorm comes in. I, I, I want to take this chance. Four hours in the middle of the night, just whacking away at a stupid ball. Why? Excellence. Why can't we do that for Jesus Christ? You got to run your race with passion. God should not get the leftovers. God should get what's first. God should get what's best. I gave my life for thee, my precious blood I shed. That thou might ransom be and quicken from the dead. I gave, I gave my life for thee. What hast thou given to me? I gave, I gave my all for thee. What hast thou given to me? See, this, this modern Christian idea, I came to church, I, I'm good. Can I ask you, you plan your vacations? You ought to. You plan things for work? You should. What plans do you have for Jesus Christ? What are you planning on giving to him? What do you plan on expending out of your life that's going to make you closer to him as you run your race? Or is it just kind of like, well, I show up at church and see what happens? Run your race with patience. You say, what do you mean? You're not going to be where someone else has been overnight. Look, if you would, at Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, look at the end of the verse. Let us run with what? You know what that means? This is not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you know what you can't do? You cannot afford to look at someone that's been doing this for 20 years and go, I can't keep up with them. You're not meant to keep up with them. One of the traits of the Pharisees is that they're always looking at what someone else is doing. Don't, don't be that person. Look at where you're going and go, okay, Lord, I'm gonna pace myself. And when you say speed up, Lord, I'll speed up. And Lord, when you say slow down, not because of what someone else is telling me, Lord, I wanna follow your voice in this. Why? Because it's not just about speed. The ancient Greeks, I know many have heard this before, they had something called Lampadodromia. You say, what is that? It was a race that started because of their folklore. One of the gods came down and gave us fire, and he put the fire on this altar, you know, and then it was on us to carry that fire to another city, and then from that city to another city. And so from that moment on, they started having these races that were not about who got there first, but rather who would get to the finish line with their Flames still lit. See, what does that take? A little bit of patience. Do you realize if you're running out there as a Greek and it starts raining, you better find some shelter? You want your light to stay lit, don't you? So you find a place where you can just stop for a moment. Sometimes you need to do that. 
And, and then you go, okay, I'm going to keep going. And then you start noticing, I'm going so fast, that flame is starting to flicker out. And you're bur- you know what you're doing? You're going at, so fast, you're getting ahead of God. And God's going, slow down, son. Slow down, child of mine. Slow down. You're not doing this the right way. And whew. what are the kids saying? I'm going to let, let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. Don't let Satan blow it out. I'm going to let it shine. We, that's a great kid song. Can I say that? that's a great adult song too? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. You know what that means? That means you have to learn to run with patience. Look, if you would, at verse 2 as we wrap this up. Can I encourage you to run your race with perspective? The Bible says in verse 2, looking unto who? Can I point out that he had joy before? What is that? You're supposed to live your life like Jesus Christ, right? You, you know what he did? He had joy that was before him, that means in front of him. And so because of the joy that was in front of him, he endured in the present what he had to. And then in the future, he sat down at the right hand of God. There it is. You know what we do? We kind of go, I just want to sit down right now. Can I just do that now? The Lord's like, look, you are going to have all eternity to sit down. Right now, it's time to run. Well, Lord, it's kind of hard right now. Yeah, but what's your perspective? What are you looking at? What is your end? If you're looking at Jesus Christ, you know what will happen? You'll be motivated to keep running. Get your, listen, get your eyes off of yourself. Get your eyes off of other people and get your eyes on Jesus Christ. It's so easy to get your eyes on this person and that person. I know I've said this already a number of times in different ways, but that's why so many Christians quit. Consider him. Why? He's your purpose. He's your motivation. He is your why. I want to close in another passage. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, not too far from here. We recently read this, and I want to remind you one more time. This is how you want to end. And here's the thing. You don't end this way because you just wake up one day at 85 ready to meet Jesus. A lot of Christians have this idea, well, when I get older, I'm just going to be more spiritual. I don't know where you get that idea from. The older you get, if you're not in tune with God, just the meaner you get and the more jaded you get because of people, the foolishness. The, the idea is this, is that if you're running your race, you ought to run your race today as if you were meeting him today. Oh, oh well, I have plenty of time. You don't know that. Hey, man, I don't know about you guys. I would not mind if, I, if we all just heard a trumpet blow and everyone goes, uh, I just heard someone call my name and we start arguing about whose name was called and the Lord's like, we're getting ready for something, boys. You ready for this? And all of a sudden we get called up. I wouldn't mind that one bit, but let me just say this right now. If you're not running your race as you ought to, you're not going to be very excited about what's about to happen. Paul says this as he gets to the end of his life and we read this a few weeks ago. We look at verse six. I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my what? That's a running, that's, that's a running terminology. He finished his race. Christian, I don't know when your race finishes, but you ought to be living like it was finishing today. Run your race. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus Christ. A lot going on this morning, but Lord, we don't want to distract or detract away from what you want to get across to your people through the word of God. Lord, I pray if maybe there's some Christians that are just tired.
Maybe they're tired of running. It's not because of sin. They're just wore out. Would you let them know it's okay to take a breather and sit under a tree and keep that light lit? But maybe there's some Christians that have some weights around them. They've got some sin around them. They've got some things they're holding on to. It's keeping them back, Lord, and they're weighed down. They're cumbered. They're entangled with the affairs of this life. Or would you help them to say, Lord, today's the day I just dropped some of these weights. I, I want to run my race. I'm tired of things holding me back. I'm tired of looking at people. I'm tired of not running towards my prized possession, Jesus. Someday, I hope soon, we're going to hear him say, come up hither. And maybe it's not next month. Maybe it's not next year. Maybe it's ten. I have no idea. I won't pretend to be smart enough to tell you when the Lord's coming back to take his children home, but I'll tell you this much, he's coming back. There were scoffers in Noah's day, and there'll be scoffers in the last day about the same issue, but he's coming back. And someday that face that looks so far away that you're looking to with eyes of faith, that face is going to be face to face with yours, no longer seen through eyes of faith, but through vision. And faith will no longer be needed. The time for faith is now. Someday the same voice that said, let there be light, will say, welcome home, child. You want to know that you ran your race the right way. Are you giving God the leftovers? Are, are, you, are you convincing yourself it just can't be done? It's too hard. No one knows what I'm going through. I'm all by myself. God's forgotten about me. He's not forgotten about you. Hebrews says he was tempted in all points like as we are yet without sin. He ran the race that you're running and he did it perfectly. And now he's showing you the way. Now he's in front of you. All you have to do is get your eyes fixed on him and run your race. here and you've never been born again, can I say this? The majority of this message was for saved people. And they've got challenges. Keeping their eyes on Jesus is a challenge even after you're saved. But let me tell you one challenge they don't have. They don't put their head on their pillow at night and wonder what's going to happen to me if I die. They have a security. They have a peace. They have a relationship that transcends any problems from this life. And supersedes all the shallowness of this life and this world. They have eternal life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, out of respect, I would ask this question. If you're here and you're saved, let the redeemed Lord say so. Let, let it maybe a little amen peep out of your mouth and a raised hand and say, yep, amen, I'm a child of God. Amen. Hands everywhere. Voices all over the place. If you're here and you couldn't raise your hand, you couldn't say amen. Can I encourage you to do something with nobody looking around right now? You may go, I, I want to learn how to run that race. Well, you, gotta, you can't even start the race till you get saved. With no one looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you've never been born again, maybe you could just slip up your hand and go, Preacher, pray for me. I'd like to be saved. Anybody here like that? I won't point you out. I won't drag you down here, but I'd like to know so I can pray for you. Don't harden your heart. Don't do that. 
if you're lost and you know you're lost and there's that lack of, of, of uh, security, that lack of assurance in your soul, you know what you're going to do? You're going to run out of here and run in the wrong direction. Don't do it. Find me, find someone that can open up a Bible and tell you how to be saved. Greatest decision you can ever make in your life. Christian, what we're doing here is eternal. What we're doing matters. And you running your race matters to other people. We say this in closing, run your race, finish your race. If you would stay standing for just a moment, I'm going to have Dean and Trish come on forward real quick. And they've been coming to our church for some time now. I, I found myself trying to remember exactly when they started coming. It's been a little bit. Dean, when did you guys start first coming? <laughs> 